Well, I'll be honest, you just surprised me. I expected about half this number of people when I walked in today. With all the sickness going around and the holidays, I was like, yeah. And with Brian being gone, I was like, well, y'all, you, you, so good, good work, everybody. So, you know, we were singing that last song, and uh, actually the last two songs, those are songs for me that, are, are, that have a lot of passion, a lot of meaning. Um, as I look over the last couple years of my life, there's been some challenges that I've worked through, um, some big challenges. And that both of those songs have been songs that have really carried me. And I don't know about you, but music has an, empower, an incredible power to help us put in words what our spirit is saying, what our soul is cry, trying to cry out to God. And so, um, so I was like, whew, I'm just going to be a blubbering mess coming up into this sermon. Um, but worship team, um, thank you for, for really bringing us to, to the throne of God. Um, for me, over the past week, Ecclesiastes 6 7 has been, it's not where I'm preaching today, um, but Ecclesiastes 6 7 has been a verse that's been really poignant for me. And it, it says, um, better is the end of a thing than the beginning of a thing. Uh, my wife works in birth, I work mostly in death. And so I think I have the better end of the deal biblically. You can't disagree with the word of God, baby. Um, but, you know, I will say this. Sometimes we do think the beginning of something is better than the end. And the challenge with that is when something begins, we're excited about it. We're hopeful about what's to come. But oftentimes through the process of that thing, we, we encounter a lot of hard, hardship. How many of you got married and were really excited? It's going to be the best decision you ever made. And then year seven hit and you weren't so sure. Yeah? Okay. My wife, too. Um, <laughs> oftentimes, something begins exciting, and then it gets challenging, and that's when we cry out to God. We're like, God, I need your help. you got to help me through this. you got to help me figure this out. And when it gets to the end, we can look back and we say, God really was faithful. He really has carried me through. He really has empowered and equipped and moved. So as we enter into this last day of 2023, I hope you'll take some time today. And this is not the sermon, but it's the pre-sermon. I hope you'll take some time today to look over the last year, count God's faithfulness, and tell him thank you for all he's done to bless you. Because he really has moved in your life in ways that maybe you haven't seen or haven't slowed down long enough to recognize. He had definitely has in my life. Um, I texted Pastor Brian right before the service started to ask for any update. Um, he didn't tell me anything we haven't already talked about. Surgery went well. He's at home recovering. He's on a lot of medications. And so now's a great time to call him and ask him for things. Uh, oh, he didn't say that part. But uh, he is doing well, and he wishes he could be here. Um, but um, definitely continue to pray for him for, for his healing. Well, as a church family, we're working our way through the book of Matthew. Um, I'll be preaching three times over the next five weeks as Brian's out. And um, I'll be working through Matthew chapter 6, the first section of that. And it actually works kind of beautifully because as we're in the book of Matthew and Brian has carried us through the Beatitudes, which really deals a lot with what is to be the character of a Christ follower, then from the Beatitudes, he took us to... 
um, Christ really correcting a lot of misunderstanding of the Old Testament law as it applies to how we should treat one another, love one another, what marriage should look like. And so Brian got all that hard stuff out of the way in a sense. And now I have, I think, what is one of the easiest sections of, of this. But I'll say this, sometimes it's the easy stuff that is the hardest for us to live out rightly. You ever find that? It's the easy things that are sometimes the hard things. And so we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today looking at uh, Jesus' teaching about our spiritual practices. Um, I'm a big fan of spiritual practices. Um, we preached not too long ago through a series on um, our spiritual practices or how to live out our Christian life in some very practical ways. So it's a very practical message. But this morning's message is going to deal very specifically with how to do the spiritual practice of giving. And I think it's quite convenient that Pastor Brian's gone on a giving Sunday. And uh, so, okay, you know. You know, I will say this, though. Humorously, if you're visiting for the first time or the first time in a long time, we don't preach on money every week here. Um, but interestingly, Jesus talked a lot, a whole lot about money. So if you go to a church where they don't talk about giving, then you're probably in a church that doesn't actually preach the whole counsel of God. So this is, this is just from God's word. But I will say this about this sermon. Um, we're not going to cover everything that the Bible has to say about giving. We're looking at a very nuanced, a very specific passage here in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is he's, he's going to say something, and then he's going to apply it to our giving. And that's where we're going to be today. And then a few weeks, we're going to talk about how that passage applies to our praying. And then a couple weeks after that, we're going to talk about how that passage applies to our fasting. That awkward chuckle. Fasting. These are, and, and I'm just going to say right up front, this is, I'm going to re reiterate this in all of our sermons. These three concepts that Jesus addresses are to just be like part of the natural way of what it is to be a Christ follower. We're givers, we're prayers, we're fasters. But coming off of Christmas, fasting is not a popular topic. So we're going to wait a couple weeks and get to that. But you might want to go ahead and like read ahead and uh, get a, get a, maybe you can game me on this and ask some questions if you're looking for something specific to be addressed about those. But um, so this morning's topic, like I said, deals with the subject of giving. And uh, as we come off of Christmas, I think it's kind of brilliant to talk a little bit about giving because Jesus specifically is talking about the idea of giving to the needy. And around the holidays, we address a lot of giving to the needy. We had a, had a tree in the lobby to be able to give gifts to foster children. We had our Operation Christmas Child drive. And uh, if you went in and out of any store, you probably came across somebody with Salvation Army who was ringing a bell. It's a very opportune time. Maybe you gave, maybe you uh, didn't give, whatever the case. Jesus does lay out for us pretty, pretty clearly that this isn't some fringe topic. This is just like everyday kind of stuff. So it is kind of a, as far as I'm concerned, a very simple message in that regard. But let's, um, let's talk about what Jesus says. And let's look here at, his, at what he has to say specifically before we go any further. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite slide right there. There we go. All right. Oof. It's a little, little cut off. You might want to use your, oh, it's not cut off, cut off up there. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus starts out with this warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
big idea right off the bat. There is a wrong way to do a right thing. There's a wrong way to do a right thing. He says, you can actually be righteous and do it in a wrong way. Beware of that. <clears throat> Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. In other words, don't toot your own horn before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. How many of you have know this passage? You've seen it before. You've read it. Good. Really common stuff, right? Okay. So I'm just curious. Have you ever been in a church where somebody blew a horn before they gave an offering? Yeah, me neither. That, that doesn't even seem to make a whole lot of sense to us. But apparently um, Jesus is, is dealing with some sort of issue where people are tooting their own horn about their giving. Big ideas I want to cover from this passage. First one is this. Jesus cares about people's needs. Jesus cares about people's needs. If you've ever been needy, you need to know this. Jesus cares about your needs. When Angela and I were very young, newlyweds, we were dirt poor. It was not uncommon. And I, la I, I laugh a little bit now because it doesn't even seem sensible um, compared to my current life, but I used to dig through dumpsters looking for things that I could sell so we could pay rent. Rent was $265. And it was all we could do to make ends meet. And I remember one day, don't, don't, don't judge me for this, one day I pulled out of the dumpster this case of chocolates. And they were still in their original packaging and shrink-wrapped. They were out of date. But, oh my goodness, it was like Christmas and my birthday and anniversary and all of that wrapped in one. It was the most beautiful day ever that that Hallmark store threw away all of those chocolates. I don't know how many boxes there were, but we ate a lot of chocolate that month. <laughs> and it was a wonderful gift. I've been poor is my point. I've been in need. I've been at a place where we depended on a food pantry to figure out what we were going to eat that night. And if they didn't have it, we weren't going to eat it. I learned what big cans of textured vegetable protein, if you've never had TVP, you didn't go to public school because you did. Um, but I learned what my wife could make with TVP. She could make anything with nothing. It was crazy. And, uh, and, and it was good. We were still here. We didn't starve to death. But I will say this, in the midst of all of that, I never once did I feel like God didn't care for me. Never once did I feel like God had abandoned me. I, it, just, it was just life. And I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus cares about meeting people's needs. And this is a priority topic for him. He wants us to understand that he cares. And he says, you know, people need to meet the needs of other people. And he says, this is just the way of life. It's important for Jesus to, to be involved in all of our lives in, in all of the different ways. But one of the ways I think is important for us to realize that where our needs are met, our, those needs are met best in him. And he wants to meet those. He cares about taking care of us. Do you agree with that? All right. Do, do you agree that Jesus cares about meeting people's needs? All right. Now... 
You may, li- you may not like this next one quite as much. Let's do it. Jesus calls his followers to care about meeting people's needs. If Jesus thinks this is important, then he thinks it's important for those of us who know him and love him and who are kingdom citizens of his to partner with him in meeting people's needs. I think this is something that as the church, we often don't know how to do it well. For years I pastored and I would get phone calls periodically from people who wanted money from the church. I had no way of verifying their stories, knowing whether or not they were just trying to rip off the next whoever. And it was very challenging sometimes. And we actually developed a system whereby that church, we were an elder model, uh, an elder-led church, where our elders would meet with everybody who applied. And we would tell them, that's fine. We, we're willing to help anybody and everybody. You just have to fill out this, this form. It was a couple of pages and meet with our elders. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. Um, and so we didn't help them. But, but we were, as a church, committed to meeting people's needs, and, and sometimes it, it felt challenging because we had created this system. But it's important for us to understand this. Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Not if, but when. This is, this is just the normal Christian life. This is assumed that what you do as a Christian is you meet people's needs. In 1 John um, 3, we read this. 1 John 3, verse 16 through 18, Jesus says, or John writes this, and first time he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has, and listen to this, this is, this is key right here. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them. In other words, does nothing about it. You see, you've got funds in your bank account. You've got nice clothes on your back. You've got a car with gas in it. Like, I remember we didn't drive anywhere with our car back in those days that we didn't have to drive because we didn't have the gas to go anywhere that we didn't have to go. But if you see somebody that's at that level of need and you have what you need and you don't take pity on them, listen to this. How can the love of God even be in that? Dear children, I told you this is where it's going to get uncomfortable. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And Jesus says this is important. We need to give to meet the needs of others. It is God's will for you, if you are a Christian, to meet the needs of others. Listen to these passages. These are all from the New Testament about giving. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. Shaken together, running over, it will be poured out into your lap. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Acts 20, 35. And all these things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of their riches, but on God, who richly has provided them with everything to enjoy, and there to do good, 
and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the idea. Throughout the New Testament, we have a lot of teachings on giving, but this is the key principle of all of it. Your giving, my giving, if we are following Jesus, should be generous. It should be lavish. Not, hey man, you look hungry. Here's a buck. That's not generous. C.S. Lewis was asked once, how much should Christians give? And he says, if you're not inconvenienced by the lack of funds because you've given so much away, you probably have not understood what it means to be a generous giver. Lewis says, we should be inconvenienced by our giving. It should set us back somehow. And Jesus says, his believers should be generous. But here's the big, hold on, wait a minute, before you jump too fast and start writing checks. Right here, this third one. Jesus wants his people to give with the right attitude. So three times Jesus makes a statement here in Matthew 6. First of all, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Okay, I want to talk about that one first. And we're going to talk about that three times, three Sundays. There is a propensity, I think, in every human being to do things in a way to look good. We live in a society, as did they, that wanted to look good. Oh, man, look at them. They drive a nice car. Did you see them all just get out of their car? They're such a nice family. Their kids are so well behaved. You can tell it's a really great dad right there. And look, the mom, she's dressed really, really nice and, and conservative, not like over the top. We make all these judgments. And we determine by what we see whether somebody is holy or not holy, good or not good, righteous or unrighteous. And Jesus says, this should not be. This is not to be the way we do things. Now, I will say this. As a pastor um, for many years, I dealt with this struggle. Like, I, I love sports cars. There, there's someone in our church who has this car that I, I very much like. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to get one of these cars. And Angela would say, just get one. I said, no, I just can't. I can't. Because somebody in the church will be like, oh, we're paying the pastor too much. Because oh, you know somebody would, right? Yeah. You know, we, we have these like, oh, if you dress too, too nice, if your wife doesn't dress just right. Like all these, there's all these judgments. And Jesus says, but you need to be careful because if you're not careful, you'll actually try to look righteous for the people. And Jesus says, don't do that. In verse 2 of Matthew 6, he says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. Interestingly, in, the, in Scripture and in extra-biblical writings, we have no record of anybody ever doing that. Can you imagine passing, you know, somebody's about to drop a, a check in the offering box, and you're like, do-do-do! Chris Sansbury is giving money 
Like, it's insane. Like, who would do that, right? But have you ever been in a church with gold plaques on everything? I have. No, so we don't blow the horn, but we have other ways of drawing attention to ourselves for righteous acts. Now, I don't know. Do we have any gold plaques around here? I hope not. I don't know. I, I just said it and realized I haven't been everywhere around here. We might have some gold plaques. But I, years ago when we were church planning, we were given a church to um, a church building, and it was kind of dilapidated at that point. We were fixing it up, and there were literally plaques on everything. And I, I made it my mission, like in week one, to go around and unscrew all those plaques and put them in a cardboard box and stuck them in the attic. I didn't have the heart to throw them away because I knew somebody might come looking for one. I was in a church once that they even actually had plaques over every urinal in the men's bathroom. No lie. I am not making this up. God strike me dead if it's not true. So, truth be told, while we may not blow a trumpet, the church has its own issue. In the 17 and 1800s, there were churches that would actually sell pew boxes, and the wealthiest of the church got boxes in the front. And you people sitting up there in the balcony, you got in free. You don't even get to vote in the church. You sit up in the top in your little poor boxes, and your free seats, the cheap seats, and if you're really, really poor, then you had to stand in the back. That was done in the United States in the 17 and 1800s in churches. And Jesus is saying that's the kind of trash that does not belong among the people of God. When you give to the needy, when you give to the church, he says, don't sound the alarm to draw attention to yourself. And then verse 3, he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing. The idea here is, if it's even possible, as you write the check... Don't let your other hand know what you're doing. The idea is, you know if you've given money, and it would be very easy to say, you know what, I helped that lady out. I feel pretty good for myself. And no, I'm not going to blow the horn, but boy, I'm going to sit at home and pat my shoulder about it. Because I'm a good person. And Jesus says, this shouldn't be. Jesus does not want his followers to work to cultivate an image of righteousness. He is not interested in us cultivating an image of righteousness. He doesn't want you to show off about how holy you are. When you give, don't draw attention. Don't toot your own horn. When you give, don't sit around and think, man, I'm such a generous lady. I'm such a generous guy. I have given so much. God, aren't you proud of me? Man, if they only knew how awesome I am. I know you wouldn't do that. But I think sometimes in our flesh we would, right? We don't, we don't want to not be thought well of. And I'm going to tell you, pastors struggle with this. Anybody who stands in front of a church struggles with this from time to time. Idea is this. There's a wrong way to do the right thing. God cares not just what we do but why we do it, what's our motivation, what's giving us that movement to even want to do it. And he's looking for our giving to be, and a big word here, self-effacing. In other words, not drawing attention to us. Our giving should be quiet. It should be behind the scenes. Now, 
that's not always going to be possible, but whenever it is possible, that's, what, that's the way we should be doing it. So, no big checks, all right? If you ever see somebody stand up here going, Rocky, Rocky, you come walking in here with a big check that you're giving to the church. We're running you off the stage, all right? I know you would never do that. I was thinking it would almost be funny to walk in here with one of those big checks this morning and to show you what I'm giving, but I'm not, and we shouldn't. Now, there's an interesting verse in chapter 5 of Matthew that maybe you're thinking about. Brian just preached this a couple weeks ago. Jesus says this, <clears throat> Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Jesus seems to be contradicting himself here. It's actually the next line that's most important on this. So they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father. As Christians, we're going to live life in community with other believers. People are going to sometimes see us doing good things for other people. But if it makes them go, man, you are so awesome, it didn't land right. If it makes them say, God is so good to have provided for you to be able to give in that way, then it lands well. And so if anybody ever looks at you when you give because they, they happen to see or know, it doesn't take all of the, the goodness of God's blessing away because they saw and recognized it. But if they turn the attention on you, you need to be very intentional to turn the attention on God. Right? That's, that's the call. That's the practice here. Our glory needs to go to the one who has given us everything we have. Now, the fourth one is an interesting, and this is our, our final application from this. Jesus rewards people for their good deeds. C.S. Lewis talked about this idea of rewards. If you, you probably have skated over this in scripture in your personal reading. Um, I did until it was brought to my attention through a sermon by John Piper probably about 15 years ago. Um, but throughout the New Testament, we see a lot of verses that basically say this. If you will do this, God will reward you. Do this and God's going to bless you. Do this, God will reward you in heaven. And the idea is this, that, that rewards are good motivators. You, ever, you believe that? Rewards are good motivators? I have four kids. I can tell you rewards are very good motivators. Threats are also good motivators. Sometimes. But Jesus says this in, in Matthew 6. one. He says, do these good things in such a way that that your heavenly father sees, otherwise you're not going to have a reward from your father. He says, if you do these good things to be seen by others, you're not going to have a reward from your father. He says, and he says that some people give so that they'll be praised by others. The idea is this, if you do what you do to get public recognition, then you already got your reward. But the better reward is the reward that your heavenly father wants to give you in eternity. Now, I'm not entirely sure, if I'm honest with you, about what that's going to look like. But the New Testament says again and again and again that those who do good things, those who give, those who pray rightly, those who fast, those who walk in obedience, those who do a lot of unseen things are going to receive a reward in heaven. And those who do those things to get praise from other people, 
will miss out on that. Is it wrong, I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, is it wrong to do good things to get blessings from God? And I would say no. God has said repeatedly, do these good things. I will reward you. I will bless you. So it must not be bad. In The Weight of Glory, it's a book written by C.S. Lewis, he addresses this subject regarding God rewarding children. Lewis says this. He says, the idea that we should not do good things to get God's reward is not even a Christian idea. That we should not do good things to get a reward, that's not even a Christian idea. He says, repeatedly throughout Scripture, the very promise of God's eternal rewards is the great motivator for good Christian living. Curious, isn't it? Probably haven't thought of it like that. So where do we land on this? Well, pretty simply, give. When you see needs, give to them. Give generously. Give in such a way that you're not going to draw a bunch of attention to yourself. Make your lifestyle one of generosity. Like, like people should like know that if they walk in the doors of a church, that there are generous people here who want to give good things and, and help people, not just stin- be stingy and keep it all for themselves. But what's curious is that in the United States, in the American church, the average American Christian gives less than 2.5% of all of their income in a year to meet the needs of the church or other people. Less than 2.5%. That's national average. Now, what's interesting is there are two groups in the United States that are the most generous. Do you know what the number one most generous group in our country is? Latter-day Saints. People who are in the Mormon church. Number one givers in the United States by far. Some of you don't like that idea. Number two are evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians. So that's good. You can take a big, deep breath. But that should be a mark of who we are. But giving in such a way that is generous, giving in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to ourselves, that's the call here in Scripture. Um, We don't have to wait for a church campaign to give. We can give because there are needs in our community. Um, Angela brought it up to me yesterday. I did already know this, but she brought it up. You know, um, you you guys have heard of Meals on Wheels? Uh, When I worked in hospice, um, tons of our patients received Meals on Wheels. Tons. Probably 60% of them. And a number needed or wanted it, but there wasn't enough availability because the kitchen was too small. They They couldn't do more than they were already doing. And uh, it came out recently, it's been all over the news and social media, that Meals on Wheels has lost their location. And now they're scrambling financially to figure out how they're going to stay afloat in Horry County to meet the needs in our community. And I just look at that and go, this should be a no-brainer for the, American ch- for the churches of Horry County to take care of that need. Um, so you look into that. So, but, but I will say this, we don't have to wait for the church to do a campaign for something. We can just be generous people because we know a need is there and we just meet it. And we meet it secretly, we meet it quietly. Chances are, I would even suggest that there's probably somebody you know that is in need. It's interesting, when we were dirt poor, we did not make it a deal to tell anybody about it. Uh, but what's funny is I remember a couple times people would take us out to lunch and it was like, oh my gosh, like we can't afford to eat out. And people would pay for our meals. And you know what an incredible blessing that was? 
That was huge. It was so huge. Um, so maybe you know somebody that, that needs help. Maybe you know somebody that, that can't take care of mowing their grass or they need babysitting for their kids or maybe their need isn't, doesn't look financial, but their need looks like something else. If you are a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ gave up his life so we should be doing the same. We should be giving. We should be a generous people. Not so that we can like stand up and say, you know what I did this week? I served X number of hours in the community or gave X number of dollars. But just because it's the right thing. And when you do it, and you do it in secret, your heavenly father, Jesus says, is going to richly reward you. Quiet generosity. That's the way we're supposed to roll, church. We serve a God who so loved the world that he gave Will we do the same? That's the question. Let's pray. God, you make it very clear in your word that your children are to be a giving people, a generous people, a people who give not to get attention on this side, but who give because you demonstrated this is the life we're to live and that you will reward that in eternity. God, where we've been stingy, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would transform us and change us and make us more generous. Where we have been giving in a way to give ourselves praise or to seek the praise of another's, God, we ask for your forgiveness for that too. Help us, Lord, to be humble and quiet and self-effacing in our giving so that our righteousness will be because you've changed us and for eternal reward and for your glory, not for the glory and attention of people around us. God, it's really simple, but sometimes it's hard and we need your help to do it. So God, make us as a, your people, make us as First Baptist Church of Conway, a generous people, a generous church, a church that's humble in that generosity that you will receive all the glory and praise. We especially lift up Pastor Brian right now. We pray, God, that you would just move in his body, bring continued healing and restoration so that he'll return to us um, healed and, and fully ready to step into his leadership role here. We lift up all in our congregation as um, I'm sure there are some right here who are, who are in need. God, I pray that you, the God who sees those needs and desires to meet those needs, would remind them that you care, that you would raise up your people around them to help provide for them. Would you help us to do it in a way that really honors you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen.